and on the truth of waiting on the Lord. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 31. We're going to go to Psalm 37 in just a few moments. But Isaiah, we'll go back there real quick. 40 and 31. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verse 31. Isaiah 40 in verse 31. Look what it says. But they, let me go back to verse 28 because it's, it's the whole context. Hast thou not known? God is asking us. Hast thou not even heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? He doesn't collapse. Neither is weary. You ever, you ever thought about that? He doesn't get tired. <clears throat> uh, there is no searching of his understanding. You'll never figure him out. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he marvelously increases strength. Even the youths, as young as they are, and as much energy they have, have they shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So when we think about these words, think about those words, they that wait on the Lord. Now, would you agree waiting is a hard thing to do? Uh, this is what we're like 90% of the time. Waiting is a hard thing to do. Nobody likes waiting. I don't care. Uh, I don't care what you what you may say in agreement. But when somebody says let's go shopping, you go. What you mean is let's go waiting while somebody else is doing the looking and so on and so forth. Very few people are able to just sit and actually wait patiently and gladly. <clears throat> Especially if you're waiting for something and you see everyone else getting ahead. And, and, and doing more than you and enjoying something more than you. And you're just having to sit there. The truth is, it is hard to wait. <clears throat> I don't know. I've got a little, I've got a cup. I'm all right. <clears throat> How many of us have said, I can't wait for summer? I have. I mean, I mean it. <laughs> I, this, this weather is like, is this the things to come? I hope so. <clears throat> Somebody might say, well, how long until dinner? only to find out it's still an hour off. Somebody may say, oh, I can't wait to have a boyfriend. I can't wait to get me married. I can't wait to graduate. I can't wait to get my driver's license. You know, even waiting for the pizza delivery guy is hard. Now, at least when you've ordered pizza, you pretty well are assured that it's gonna come. But it is hard to wait when you don't know what's gonna happen. Like when you're praying for a long season for someone's health to get better and they continue to get worse. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait on someone as you hope for them to change, as you hope for them to grow and to mature and to become more responsible and Christ-like, and they don't. It's hard to wait. Most of us are impatient. Most of us are, get your phone. <clears throat> Most of us are impatient. We won't admit it, but we are. We're impatient, we're impulsive, we're anxious, we're hasty in our actions. We demand things on our schedule. And we get angry when things don't work like we want right then and there. But biblical waiting is a gift. Now, this is a priceless thing I'm going to teach you this morning. First thing you need to know, biblical waiting is a gift. When you decide to wait on someone else, when you decide to wait on God, you are giving a gift out of a heart that does the seven things we're going to learn about today. Did you know it's a gift when you patiently wait to meet the right person to marry? You're giving your patience to your future spouse. It's a good attitude, waiting, to have as you look forward to seeing grandkids soon, like I am. You know, if I get impatient and I just snuck in and snuck up to where my grandkids live or I try to go somewhere, you know, I might get in trouble. <clears throat> I'm giving them a gift by looking forward to seeing them again and being able to wait just long enough. You know, as part of our worship, when we eagerly look forward to the rapture of us Christians and are willing to wait until he decides to come back for us. That's my gift back to him. I'm willing to wait. I am eager to gather together with other believers again and have proper church, but my gift is that I'm willing to wait until the time is right for their sakes and for their safety. Patiently waiting for God right now 
to bring the gospel awakening to Ireland is a gift. I don't mean I just sit and twiddle my thumbs, but I am earnestly yearning and waiting for God to bring revival to Ireland. Sometimes we willingly wait, like when you are waiting for the pizza guy to deliver, or when someone in your family is always laid out the door and you're standing there and you're waiting, you're willingly waiting, or maybe you're waiting for a baby to be born. You know, it takes nine months, you know, it's not like pop it in the oven and out she comes. Uh, you got to patiently wait, but there are times that we're forced to wait. Like when your parents marched you up to your room and they grounded you for the, for the afternoon or the month. Uh, maybe you go to the surgery and um, you're, you're, you're the doctor's surgery and you're told it'll be a moment. Uh, it'd be a little while. And then when they call your name, have you ever had this happen? You're sitting there and you're in a crowd of people and then you're called your name and then they put you in another room and they abandon you. And then you're there for a little while. And then they come and they say, there's a lead better. And they weigh you. And then they put you back in that same room and you wait. And you're forced to wait. Either way, whether you're willingly waiting or whether you're forced to wait, God says waiting is good for us. I want to show you something. Go to Hebrews 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36. Hebrews 10, 36. Two scriptures here. You know, waiting is one of God's tools that he uses to actually change us. You think, boy, I wish God would use a hammer. <laughs> well, he does that too. But waiting, learning to be patient, changes us. Hebrews 10, 36 says this, For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So by learning to wait, I learned to do and serve the Lord and then I receive the promise. And through it, God changes me. Go to James. Go to the next book, James chapter 1 and verse 4. I wonder if you ever noticed this phrase here. James chapter 1 and verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work. Patience works on me. That ye may be, here's the word, perfect. You want your husband to be perfect? Wait. <laughs> you want your kids to be perfect? Wait a while. You say, well, I've... I've, I've, I've done this and I've done that. Amen. Amen. But it's like a farmer. You can beat the ground all you want, but you're going to have to plant that seed and then wait. So be patient. Let patience have a perfect work that she may be perfect and entire. That means have everything you need, nothing, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. So by way of background, we're going to go to Psalm 37. But before you go there, let me give you some thoughts because um, um, we're going to go to some of the scriptures. God has weighed in on us a lot. You think you wait on, on, on people and you wait on things. I remember being a kid, I couldn't wait till I was 18. Then I couldn't wait till I was 20. Then I couldn't wait till I was 21. Then I couldn't wait till I was 25. Then I couldn't wait till I was 21 again. <laughs> we're, we're constantly waiting and waiting. The truth is God waits on us. Galatians 4.4 4 says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. You know, God waited 4,000 years from creation until the right time to send his son. He waited as a child. Think about God being put in a body and having to wait for the clock to, to tick a second and then another. God's outside of time. And then all of a sudden, God had to experience waiting. And he waited from a baby to a child to a young lad to a teenager to 20-something, 20 25. And then at 30, he started his ministry. Think about it. God has had to wait. He waited for the exact time for him to be abused and to be crucified. He said to his own stepbrothers at their time to die was always ready, but his was reserved for a very special day. John 7, 6 says, then Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, boys, but your time is always ready. You can go out at any time. But Jesus said, no, we have to wait until it's just the right time for me to go to the cross. And then when he died, think about this, breathtaking. He went, into, he went into the tomb and then the world waited. God forced the world to wait three days and three nights. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Right now, First, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 1 says, They themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, 
and to wait for his son from heaven. That's what I'm doing right now. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Jesus is still waiting right now for the right time to come back. And you know what that means? He's waiting for you to get saved. He's waiting for you to hear this message and for you to finally decide, I surrender all. God waits a lot on us. <clears throat> what it means to wait on God. What does it mean? It does not mean to be idle, lazy, or asleep. It means to stop complaining, grumbling, murmuring. It means stop making your demands and instead respectfully ask God for what you need and then step back and wait for him to do it. You see, demands are the result of impatience. Asking is the result of faith. It's the result of patience. Don't lose your desires or your dreams. No, God gives you those. Just don't be depressed when they don't happen on your schedule. Waiting means sitting back and asking God for his will and being absolutely committed to doing his will, his way, and his time. And that's a big mouthful. That's a lot harder. I mean, waiting is hard enough. But waiting in the middle of God's will, that's hard. It means having your attention on God and not on your circumstances. The whole world is watching the news at least four hours a day. And, and when, when their attention's on the coronavirus, their attention's not on God. And if you're a waiter, your attention is on the people you're serving. I serve God. My attention's on him. I'm excited about what he's doing. I try not to let, and I, sometimes it overwhelms me. I start thinking about this thing going on and on and on and on, and it discourages me. But um, uh, I want you to see that, that uh, 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 my eyes need to be on the Lord. My attention needs to be on him, not on this coronavirus. Now, there's lots. To wait on God means to just be able to sit back and smile. I mean, is that practical? But there are loads of scripture on waiting on the Lord. Waiting is a great word to learn about. Now, I'm not going to uh, quote a lot of scriptures, but just for thoughts, Psalm 25, 5 says this. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. He chooses. Lord, I'm going to wait on you. And that's probably the most important thing a Christian can do from sunup to sundown is to say, Lord, I'm working. I'm doing this. I'm trying to do right. But in the end, I leave it in your hands. You bring them out the results. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I, David writing, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me. He, he bent his ear towards me. And he heard my cry. So as I wait for the Lord and I pray unto him, God says, I'll listen to that guy. The person who's demanding is ignored. I hope that that's true in your home. I hope when your kids come into your room and start demanding something, you ignore them completely because that's sin. Don't you think when you start demanding of God that you're any better? Ask. Humble yourself. Wait on God. Ask and then pull back and say, I'll wait. Because God's not going to neglect you. God's not going to just pull, pull off and say, oh, I'm not listening because I don't like you. That's not true. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, my soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. And then Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. My flesh may not like waiting, but my soul wants to. And in his word do I hope. Now, I don't know of anybody in the scriptures who did not have to learn to wait on God. Maybe you can find somebody who found it easy to wait on God. But everyone, whether it's Abraham, uh, whether it's Adam and Eve, every one of them had times where they had to wait on the Lord. So let me say this. God blesses waiters. I need to, I need to show you a comparison here. that You need to have two fingers here ready. Isaiah chapter 64 in your left hand. And 1 Corinthians 2 in your right hand. So Isaiah 64 and verse 4 is where we're going first. Isaiah 64 and verse 4. And in your right hand, find 1 Corinthians 2, 9. And this is breathtaking. This is what a Bible study will do for you. All right, so Isaiah 64 and verse 4 says this. Watch these words, how carefully they're written. For since the beginning of the world... Men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, 
what he hath prepared for him that, underline the three next three words, that waiteth for him. Hold your place here. That waiteth for him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll go back there in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's Paul quoting the very same verse. And Paul teaches us what God means when he says what he says. Verse 9, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Go back to Isaiah. Look what it says, last words of 64.4. But he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. Loving God means waiting on him. Waiting on him is an act of loving God. God blesses waiters. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. God's good unto them that learn to wait on him. Especially, we read there in Isaiah 40, verse 31, God shall renew their strength. So now that brings up the, the flip side, and that is that God curses the hasty and the impatient. I could go through all these things. I've got no time. Uh, you know, we, we're hasty to open our mouths when we should have kept them shut, aren't we? We buy things that we don't really need. It's a rare thing not to have the latest phone or a tablet or a gadget or watch the latest movie or know the latest gossip. Um, people are hasty when they, when they spend their money, like investing in Bitcoin. I bet a lot of people re, re, uh, are kind of uh, regret that. And, and then they, they put their money into risky, fast money sh uh, schemes. The Bible warns against that and says, don't waste your money. Don't do that. That's hasty. Maybe you know somebody who took revenge instead of leaving it to God and they regretted it. There is no joy in taking revenge. You know, I thank God for the coronavirus. There are many things I'm glad for right now with coronavirus because it slowed everything down, which is a good thing. It's made it possible to actually enjoy today. We've been living for the future so much that we can't just live for today for a little while. It's funny. All, all that's going on right now is teaching us to wait. Kind of appropriate we learn these lessons today. So I want to focus your attention on how. Now, there's some questions I hope to answer today. Um, uh, let me see if I can uh, like. Why does God make us wait so much? Why should I wait? What if I don't wait? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good teenage question. How do I wait? Well, I'm going to try and answer these at the end of this, of this uh, uh, message because if you learn these and if you learn to answer them right, you'll have a happy, successful life like you're, like you're designed to be. Now, what follows are seven words that will help you understand what right waiting feels like. Okay? These actually help you to wait on the Lord. They're not magical words. They are meditative words. They are words that need to become active in your life by you thinking about them, pondering them, learning them, knowing them, and then obeying them. If you want to be renewed, if you want to be recharged, if you want to be revived and encouraged, these are seven words that will help you. They're the words of God anyway. They'll help you know what to do when you feel anxious, when you're impatient, when you're worried, when you're stressed out, when you want to quit. I've known too many people want to quit the ministry. Too many people, they get started and doing something for God and they pull back and they're just not interested anymore. You ran out of steam. You lost your joy. And, and you, you, you know you can't lose God. You can't lose Christ and he can't lose you, but you can lose just about everything else. This is the truth that will restore and renew your strength. Some people want to quit their marriage. Some people want to quit life itself. You know, if you were in that, if you were in that feeling, you know what the Lord Jesus would do if he could step right into your room right now? He would stand beside you and tell you one word. Are you ready? Wait. That's what he'd tell you. Just wait. You know, I'm going to ask you at the end, what if Abraham had actually waited? What if Sarah had actually waited on God instead of impulsively going and get Hagar and trying to circumvent the delay that God wanted them to experience? Think about it. what if Eve had waited on Adam to come along and confront 
that old snake in the grass, the devil, and rebuke him and kick him out of that garden? What if she had just waited instead of just acting on impulse and taking that fruit? Think about it. What if Jesus could actually come this morning and stand beside you? I'll tell you what he would say if you're thinking of quitting, if you're thinking of just dropping off the map and just saying, I'm not interested in this anymore. You know what he'd say? Wait. So uh, I want you to go to Psalm 37 and look at our first word, Psalm 37. It's actually two words, but Psalm 37, verse one and two. And I want you to see, we don't have time. I'm very apparent, aware of time and constraints. I mean, I, I, I'm honored that you take the time to listen and that you're watching. But let me be very clear. This is rich and this will help. And let me just give you a background. Every one of these words here have a promise connected to them. There is, if you do this, this will happen. So look at Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, people who seem to do wrong and they don't get caught. They don't seem to get in trouble. They don't seem to ever fall. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither is the green herb. So those first two words I want you to see are fret not. It's a good old English word. You'll find it still being used today. It's kind of funny. Somebody's saying somebody's fretting or they'll talk about fretting uh, um, um, metals and different things. But it simply means don't panic. It means don't be anxious. Don't worry or don't become agitated. And, you know, in, in this root word, fretting means don't wear out the floorboard. That's where it comes from. To fret is where you're back and forth and you're pacing and you're just, you're, 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 you're unable to rest. And so you're back and forth. And the word fret means, or fret not means don't wear out the floorboard. Sit down, breathe. Now, fretting occurs when things aren't happening in our favor. When things aren't going our way. When we're out of control, when things are out of our control. I'll say this, Sarah fretted. I mean, she couldn't put up with Abraham anymore talking about a baby when they had gone 15 years without one. And here he is still talking about having a baby and she couldn't bring one. And she fretted about how Abraham would ever have a child at such an age. And so in the end, it caused her to go and get Abraham, uh, the Egyptian servant named Hagar. And she gave Hagar to her husband. Shame on her. She fretted. What a sad day. Now, this is not a suggestion either. All of these things aren't like we, you know, when people are counseling, well, let me suggest what you should do. We're afraid to tell people what to do. God's not like that. God says, fret not. Don't panic. I mean, Jesus is on the water, the storm, and as he's walking to the ship, I mean, he does this several times, and they're panicking, they're freaking out, they're thinking they're going to die, and Jesus says, hey, rejoice. Be a good cheer. It's me. Hey, stop panicking. Now, that didn't mean that the storm stopped. It just meant they didn't have to panic now. Fret not. This is a command. Now, I know it's not easy. Don't get the idea. Any Bible preacher standing up here preaching this Bible believes it's easy to, easy to obey one word of it. But it's something we've got to do. It's something we've got to focus on. And the first thing God says is don't do. Get rid of fretting. Philippians 4, 6, that we're to be careful for nothing. Careful means without care. Don't be careful means full of care. And we're to be without care. Philippians 4, 6 says be careful for nothing. Now, when you're driving, be careful. But we've used sort of a mutilated meaning of that word. In, in the King James Bible, it talks about be anxious, be panicky about nothing. Don't be full of worry about anything. But in everything, what should we do? By prayer and supplication. Supplication means handing things off. We'll talk about that in a minute. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and watch the promise. And the peace that passes understanding shall keep your hearts. Don't be anxious. Fret not. You know what's amazing? According to that verse, according to Philippians 4, 6, we can be careful for nothing. What does that mean? It means there are times when I want to be, want to panic, and I decide, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to leave things into your hands. Let me say it again. Waiting happens when we refuse to fret 
or to panic, to gripe, to get angry. You see, we feel like panicking, but we refuse to. We bite our tongues. We instead decide to wait on God to do what we cannot do, all because we choose to do the next word that we're going to look at. So waiting first means fret not. Number two, look at verse uh, three, trust. That's your next word. Trust in the Lord and do good. So here's our, here's our fruit. Here's the result. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. God will take care of you. Now, trust is one of the most important words in your Bible. It's bigger than love, judgment, heaven, or hell. Did you hear what I said? Trust is bigger than almost all the other words in your Bible. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is another verse that you ought to know, says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine understanding. Trust does not know how to figure things out with your head, but you get your heart to trust only in the Lord. And in all thy ways, acknowledge him, follow him, obey him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, the opposite of trust is disbelief. Watch this. It is doubt. The opposite of trust is constant questioning. Isn't that what the devil is? The devil constantly says, if thou be the son of God. You know, the devil's good at questioning. Don't be like the devil and question everything constantly. At some point, you've got to decide, thus saith the Lord, boom, I believe it. So here's the meaning of trust. It means that you have confidence in God, full stop. You solidly rely upon him without any hesitation. That's trust. When, when, uh, uh, when, when, um, Oh, I don't know. Um, when you're kind of in, in the car and you're driving along and somebody's in the passenger seat, but they know the way and you're driving along and you're lost, you got to trust that person and say, what do I turn off? Turn off here, take a turn, turn around, come back the other way. You say, okay. But if you hesitate and you're arguing, you're going to ruin the ride. There has to be an, uh, an important decision in the life of the believer that says, you know, I not only believe in God, but I trust him. The devils believe in God, but they don't trust him. So trust, big word. Uh, your faith should result in trust, and your trust will make it possible for you to wait. Now, God works out a perfect plan. I'm going to read Isaiah 64, verse 4, says this, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, we read this, nor perceived by the ear, Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. You know, I, I couldn't make my life better. I may try. I may try to make wise decisions because I might, I might want my life to be um, better, uh, more happy, whatever. But look at what that verse says. God has something prepared for those who wait on him. He's got a plan. Jeremiah 29 says this, for I, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. You think God's upset at us all the time. Well, he should be. <laughs> but listen to what his promise is. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. See, God's not going to be surprised. You may be. But God's going to give you something, going to bring forth something that he expects. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I'll be found of you. God's working out a plan. Get you closer to him. Get you trusting him more. If you would, I'll ask you again, what if Abraham had waited just a few more years? What if King Saul had just waited a few more hours? Boy, if you know that story there in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul gets impatient because Samuel's not showing up. You ought to read the chapter. Samuel in chapter 10 says, I want you to go to Gilgal and wait for me there. And that word wait was hard for a king. A king waits for no one. But he was supposed to wait and he got impatient. So he took over the sacrifice. And as soon as he did, Samuel showed up and says, what's going on here? And Saul lies about it, covers it up. And um, uh, Samuel says, you know, to obey is better than all these sacrifices. You blew it, Saul. And he did. If he had just waited a few more hours. What was their problem? They didn't trust that God was in control. They didn't think that he had a plan. They thought that God had left. Uh, they got impatient. 
and they ended up messing up things real bad. Now, not unfixable. Don't don't think that you can mess up things and that God can't fix them. I mean, God is God is the God of the impossible. We have too many people who think I've gone too far. I've made it too big a mess. You haven't made anything, man. If anybody was was uh, uh, well, let me just stop there. Just just think for a second. There's nothing you can that you can do that God can't fix and can't undo, except going to hell. So. Uh, waiting means trusting. Third word, delighting. Look at verse four. Delight. Every one of these verses shows up with a word that is something that just hits us right between the eyes and says, this is how you wait. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. What a, what a result. Delight is a wonderful word. It means more than just enjoying God. It means to thoroughly enjoy God. How many of you just enjoy ice cream? Well, there are those of us who thoroughly enjoy ice cream. How about chocolate? How about sunshine? We know how to delight in all those things. But waiting easily happens when we're actively delighting in God, when we love his word. I, I, I am watching and I worry about this modern Christianity doesn't love this book, doesn't pick it up and just it and say, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the words of eternal life. I worry about a generation that doesn't love this book. You're not going to read it if you don't love it. You're not going to obey it if you don't love it. Delight in it. Uh, you know, when you, when you delight in his will for your life, it makes it easy to wait on him. Uh, I, got, uh, I got saved when I was 17 years old, just a few weeks later at a, um, uh, at a missions conference. God called me to preach. And to be a missionary, I didn't even know what that was. To go to Ireland, I didn't even know where that was. I just knew God wanted me in Ireland, across the ocean, wherever that was, whatever those people were. But it took 12 years of going to Bible college, getting married, uh, going up to uh, uh, New Jersey, working in a church, getting a regular job, uh, raising some kids and, and um, uh, paying bills and all that stuff. God made me wait 12 years before I ever set foot permanently in Ireland here. You know why I would put up with that weight? Because I delighted in God. I didn't care if it took, well, I knew I wanted to go and I was always wanting to go, but if the Lord wanted me to stay, I stay because I delighted in God. If, you, if you're born again, decide to enjoy God. That's one of the chief aims of, of man is to love God and enjoy God. Um, that'll, that'll, that means be content. Don't enjoy what you think you need. Enjoy what you already have. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation, all you talk about, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. I know it's hard for a lot of people. But the only reason why I can be content is because the Bible promises, uh, for he shall never leave thee nor forsake thee. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says this, but godliness with contentment, that is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can cherish God. Just, just where you are, what you have. I don't care if you have a tiny little apartment or if you've got no car or if you're sitting in a hospital bed. Worship God. Delight in God. That is part of loving God. That's part of waiting on God. And that is actually one of the ways that helps me wait on God. I don't mean you don't have needs, but you're willing to wait for God to supply them. Next word, verse five. <clears throat> verse five says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Commit. It means to thoroughly, oh, I'm not there. Let's go, ha, commit. Commit means to roll things onto God's back. That's what it means to commit. It means to hand off what you've been carrying. It simply means to pray like everything depends upon God. You know, the New Testament word is to cast. Then I like that word cast because it's a, it's a sport term. You ever watch rugby and the, the, uh, all of those players on one side is moving ahead and what are they doing with that ball? They're casting it to the next guy. Now, when they're doing that, all the attention of that other team is now on that guy with the ball. And as they all get try to bring him down, he casts it to the next guy. And when the devil surrounds you and when he's pulling you down, you've got to pass that burden that you're carrying onto someone else and it's only going to be God. Maybe you got a good friend who will pray with you, who will sit with you, who will try and carry your burden with you, but they can only carry it so far. 
You need to cast thy burden upon the Lord. You need, the Bible says, and where did I go? Uh, it's in 1 Peter 5, 8, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I think it's 5, 7, sorry. Uh, casting on him. Uh, when I was a child, we played a game called hot potato. Now, hot potato was you had a bean bag. That was a uh, that was another game, all right? But you had to uh, uh, pass this thing back and forth as fast as you could while somebody was either playing some music and uh, or whether they were they were counting and they had their their eyes turned away. And when they said stop, all of a sudden whoever had the bean bag last they got out. And the point is this: when the devil, when the world, when the flesh, when when sin throws burdens on you, don't carry it. Commit it to God. That means pass it off. If you're going to try to carry your sins into the grave, you will go straight to hell. But the moment that you say, Lord, I can never get rid of all my sins. I can never be forgiven for all, except by you, I give them all to you. You know what the Lord says? I'll take them all. And then when you mess up and you fall and you look up and you say, Lord, would you take this burden off of me? I've just messed up. I'm ashamed. I'm guilty. I, I, I shouldn't even be called your child, but I give you this. You're not being saved again. You're being sane. You're being smart. You're being sanctified. You're not all you listen. You carry your if you're a Christian and you're still carrying your sins, you're doing double duty. Jesus already took them. Don't take them back on you. <laughs> Give them everything. But when you carry your burdens and you go, listen, you got to carry your burden during the day. But the last thing you, do, you ought to do at night is to give them all to God. You ought to wake up the next morning completely fresh, new, no record. Now, the devil reminds you of everything you didn't do yesterday. The devil reminds you of everything you're a failure at. But God doesn't remember any of that. Neither should you commit everything into his hands. That's how you learn to sleep at night, folks. Last thing you ought to do is to give him everything that's laying on your heart. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early and worry, to sit up late worrying, to eat the bread of sorrows out of regret. For so he, God, giveth his beloved, that's us, sleep. Which leads to our next word, rest. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of him that bringeth wicked devices to pass. Look at that word. It says rest. When everybody else is able to get the new car, when everybody else is able to move houses, when everybody else is able to buy the better food, when everybody else seems to be happy and going on holidays, normally, whatever, rest. Now, rest simply means to believe God's in charge of everything. Everything. He's in charge of the good days and the bad days. He's in charge of when things are being a blessing and when things are falling apart. He's in charge of your disasters. Talk to Job about that. Job, I know the devil stripped everything away from him, but God was the one who was in charge and allowed it. And you know who Job wanted to talk to through the entire experience for those months? He said, I just want to talk to God. He didn't even try and rebuke the devil. He didn't even try and resist the devil. Didn't even try and talk to the devil. He knew that he had to rest on God. Uh, go to Mark 4. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Still hold your place there in Psalm 37. Mark chapter 4. In verse 35. No? Yes, Mark 4, 35. That's not it. Did I mean Matthew? No. Oh, I'm here. Yes, I am. Good. Mark 4.35. In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us, Jesus told the disciples, pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, Jesus, even as he was in the ship. So they're carrying him in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. So these are small ships. They're crossing over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 37, and there arose, as there usually was, a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into that ship so that it was now full of water. And he was in the hinder part, the back of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and saith unto him, Master, carest not that we perish? 
So is is uh, Peter resting or is he panicking? Verse 39, and Jesus, he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. What was Jesus doing? He was transferring the peace that was in him onto the sea. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? And boy, they feared exceedingly. And they said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want you to understand that was not what they needed to see. Not that the wind and the waves were obedient to him, but that Jesus was able to sleep in the middle of the storm. That's rest. That's rest. Truth number one, you are not in control. Neither are your doctors. Neither are the politicians. God is. Now, I know we all want to just break out. We want to just all go to the beach. We all just want to do our own thing, but you're not in charge. Now, the guard are trying to keep some semblance of order and trying to keep people from just, just listen, stay home, keep this thing from spreading so fast. I understand all that, but they're not even in charge. God is in charge and rest happens when you sit back and you go, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing. He's in charge. He's at rest. I guess I can be as well. Now, you can't switch rest on and off. Most people have burned out their rester. Okay, I know it's not a word, but I want you to understand. They just, they just like when you're a kid, your, your mom would say, time for a nap. And you go, no, no, no. And they lay you down, and 30 seconds later, you're asleep. You have the ability to rest. Most of us have burned that out a long time ago. But you can practice resting by reviewing and believing the scriptures that tell you that it's going to be okay. Psalm 31, 5, 15 says, my times are in thy hand. What a great verse. Review scriptures that say, you know, everything in my life is in God's care. Read through your Bible. Let it rearrange your thoughts and change your feelings and then your actions. Rest is something you're going to have to work on where you believe God's in charge of everything and you go, I'm not going to react. I'm not going to panic. Two more thoughts. Verse 8 says this, cease from anger. Cease from anger. Look at verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Now, when, when, when the Bible says cease from anger, it means do not let your anger be in charge of you. It means be quench it. Put it out like a fire that's out of control. Maybe, maybe you need to uh, compare it to a pit bull terrier that is aggressive, and your anger needs to be put on a leash. No campfire is safe when it has no limit. And no angry pit bull is safe without a firm leash. And no anger is safe to just let loose on anyone. So it says cease from being angry. That means pull back on it and say, uh, I got to stop. I got to breathe. I got to walk away. You know, your anger, usually is, your anger is usually the result of being frustrated that things not going your way. Is that not true or not? Think about it. Your and my anger are usually the result of things not going our way. And it's probably because you're reaping for doing things your way instead of God's way. So you take it out on somebody else when it's your own problem. So you feel guilty. You feel trapped. There are people right now who feel trapped because they were hasty going into debt and now they regret it. So they get angry at their wife. They get angry. You know, a lot of marriage problems are money problems. And they take out their stupid decisions on each other. There are some people who are who feel guilty or trapped, married, whoever they thought they would like the first at the first sight, and now they're trapped in it, and so they get angry. You can't do that. Marriage is honorable in the Lord. Uh, it is it is something that God will bless if you do things right. You probably feel guilty going into debt so fast when you were tricked and I think it was fast money. Let me tell you, you if you're that stupid to be to be just doing impulsively and you start reaping for it, don't you get angry at anybody else but yourself. Cease from being angry. Put a leash on it. Humble yourself. Own up to being hasty and impatient. That's what the Bible says. You say, Pastor, you're meddling. No, I'm preaching. And then you can wait on the Lord to get you out of that mess. It's not permanent. Your trouble may take years for it to be all paid off or whatever. But God will get you out of it if you wait. Last thought. Serve. Serve. Look at verse 21. Just, just down to 21. It says, the wicked borroweth 
and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. You know, the, the ungodly won't do anything for anybody else. They're only selfish. But a Christian, righteous person, shows mercy to those who don't deserve it and gives anyway. What a great thought. Waiting does not mean just lying around idle. That is so wrong. There are, there are things that God says we're supposed to wait for and, 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 and do nothing but wait. But there are things we're supposed to work for while we wait. Christianity is an army of farmers who work hard and we wait. That's what we are. Christianity is an army of farmers that work hard and then we wait. What do I mean? We plow and we plant the seed of the word of God. We preach the gospel just like a farmer plants his, so his seed in the soil. And then we wait. I can't make anybody believe. But I get the gospel out. I hand a gospel track out. Give my testimony. Point somebody to a YouTube. Tell them, watch this. It will save your soul. Read the Bible. Show them John 3, 16. And then I pull back and I have to wait. Christians are supposed to be an army of farmers, spiritual farmers, who work hard. And then we wait. Um, Christianity also is an army of servants who are busy while they wait for their Savior to return. What a great thought. You know, we serve God at his wish, at his impulse. There's a great illustration of, of David. He's in a cave. He's running from King Saul. He's with his men. And he barely whispers. He says, I wish I had a drink of the water of the well at Bethlehem. And he had three good friends. Three men there who, who heard that wish and in an instant snuck out and then walked. I think it was, was like 15 or 20 miles. And they had to go through um, danger and, and the Philistine battalions. And they had to move through enemy lines. They had to go into Jerusalem, go to the center well in Jerusalem. Sorry, yeah, in, Jeru in Bethlehem, sorry, in Bethlehem. Get in there without anybody noticing. Drop down the bucket. Get the bucket of water. Pour it in a... Uh, a bottle, and then get back, and they brought it to David, all because of a whisper. What does God have to do to get you to do something? Scream? Does he have to drop the world on your head? You know, when we have a desire to serve and wait like a waiter on the Lord and say, Lord, if, if I'm to wait for anything, I will wait on you. And whatever you tell me to do, I will do while I'm waiting. So raise your children right. You do it for God, and then you wait on God. It may take 30 years for things to turn around, but if you train them up right, when they're old, they will not depart from it. You have to trust that. You have to love your wife and husband the right way. Just do the right thing, and then you wait on God. We are, we're supposed to be an army of servants who are busy doing right right now while we're waiting on God to bring everything out for good. Love and serve your enemy. You do that, and you do it um, just as unto the Lord, and then you wait because that will plant the seed that will get them to want to get saved and change their life. You, you work and you wait. It'll pay off in the end if you serve the Lord and not yourself. And that's the final thoughts. There, look at verse 37. I love this verse. Verse 37 there in Psalm 37, verse 37 says this, Mark the perfect man. I want you to see the end of the ungodly waiter. I want you to see the end of his life. What does it say? Verse 37, mark the perfect man. Take note of the perfect man and behold the upright. For the end of that man is what? It's peace. Isn't that wonderful? Look, that psalm is about being able to wait. So the end of my life is not full of regret. My, the end of my life is joy and peace. Um. If you're tired, you earn for renewal of inner strength and joy. God offers that guaranteed strength. He actually offers a continual recharge. Now, he doesn't give that strength to everybody. He only gives that strength to weary waiters. Hmm. So why should I wait? Because God is faithful. End of story. Everything that, that, that in your life that you do ought to be because God is faithful. You don't deserve a, a tyrant or a or a or a evil leader or somebody that for you serve a faithful God, a God who has sacrificed everything for you. Why should you wait? Because God knows the end from the beginning. 
He'll lay out the steps you should take in order for you to finish well. Look at verse 23. Still in Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered, laid out by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The man delights in God's way. Why should you wait? Because God knows what steps you need to take, who you need to marry, where you need to live, what church you need to belong to. Um, God knows what decisions you need to make tomorrow, and he'll help you. Why should you wait? Because it'll change you. It'll save your sanity, and it will restore you while you're waiting. Secondly, what if you or I don't wait? Well, it's obvious you'll have a life full of regret. They used, uh, they, they used to call it buyer's remorse. I know you've never had that. I know plenty of people who have. They'll buy something. They go, I shouldn't have bought that. You know, that's a terrible way to live. Oh, I wish I, I hadn't done that. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Most of our decisions we make are our own, and we don't know how to wait on God. We don't know how to pray and then wait. What if you and I don't wait? We'll have a life full of regrets. Our children, our grandchildren could suffer from our impatience. And we'll probably miss out on the peace at the end of our life that Jesus gives every believer. Don't do that. God can fix anything, but don't keep piling it up. There's a, come some point where you say, you know what? I'm going to wait on the Lord. Even in the situation I'm in, I'm going to let God pull me out. Because he will. Read Psalm 40. So I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of a horrible pit. It started with waiting. How do I wait? I already told you. By not fretting, but by trusting God, delighting in God and his will, committing everything into his hands that you tire of carrying, resting in his good care, ceasing from anger, and lastly, serving while you're waiting. Because if you get those answered right, you're on your way to a happy, successful Christian life, my friends. Here's a conclusion. I want to remind you what I said last week, and that is if anybody is patient, it's God. God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the good news. We are in trouble with God. Our nation, Ireland, is in trouble. God shouldn't give Ireland a second chance, but I'm praying he does, and I think he will. But the truth is, God is being patient right now. We're, this, this world's not burned up yet, but it will be soon. The Lord is waiting for us. He's waiting on somebody right now watching this to repent and believe that his son took your place in death so you could receive the gift of eternal life, forgiveness. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Therefore will the Lord wait. Watch these words. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted. Oh, yes, he will be praised that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Yes. Blessed are they that wait for him. Just know this. Now, let me just stop. Just know this. Life does not last forever. Hebrews 9.27 says, As is it appointed men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's why now is the time to get saved. Now, dear Christian, if you yearn for renewal of inner strength and joy, start being patient with God. Wait on him. I told you, I've just begun to touch the hem of the garment. I could go for, I don't know, two more weeks on some of this just to get the thoughts of it. I don't know anybody in the Bible that didn't have to learn to wait, just like we do. So next time you're reading long, take a step back there. Look at Hezekiah. Uh, look at Josiah. Um, in your Bible, look at Peter. Look at the impatience in all of the people that God used. The only thing they did that was good was they learned to trust God. And to do that, they had to learn to wait on him. Start being patient with God. Be patient with life itself. Your life may stink. Be patient. Jesus, if he was here right now, he'd say, wait. Let me say one more thing. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. God is. God hasn't killed you yet. <laughs> He's given you every heartbeat, every breath that you breathe. So he's being patient with you. So be patient with yourself. You say, I'm, I, I remember when I was first saved and I started off to Bible college, I had a friend named Lowell Thompson. Lowell Thompson, he already was a foot taller than me, but I saw him as a spiritual giant. That man fasted two, three, four times a week. That man, young man, he preached like I, I, I can't compare. He was a great preacher. He was a great soul winner. He, he was a great joy to be around. I wanted, I wanted to be just like Lowell. You know what's funny? 
I told him one one evening we we're listening to tapes. We were passing around uh, preaching tapes, and and we were making copies because that's what we did. People are passing around pictures and videos all these days. We had the life. We had cassette tapes, and we got a new preaching by Jack Hiles or Peter Ruckman or somebody else like uh, R.G. Lee or or I can't tell you um, uh, these preachers, and we'd be listening to them. And I looked up to him one time. I I said I. I I am not catching up with you. I, I feel like I'll never be like you. And he looked at me, um, he said, you don't realize what it took for me to be where, the way I am. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been through a lot. And God makes you over time. I said, what does it take? He says, suffering, sorrow. I said, really? And Lord looked in my face, he said, and you will experience all of that. So don't try to be like me too fast. Just, just let God take you through the valleys. Just let God, and he will mold and make you like Jesus Christ. That changed my whole view. I don't want to be like Lowell anymore. I want to be like Jesus Christ. And in order for Jesus to change me, he has to put me somewhere and be able to tell me, wait. Wait with myself. I may, I may be miles behind everybody else, but that's okay. I'm in the right direction. So pray and work and trust and rest as you wait on the Lord. Everything you ask, give it in his hands and say, I'm gonna trust you that it's gonna come. And finally, you'll enjoy the Christian life a whole lot more. I guarantee you. We're gonna sing in just a moment, but I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you right now to consider, are you born again? I'm not asking, are you, uh, are you a, um, a churchgoer? I'm not asking if you just believe with your head. I'm gonna ask you, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again? For you, if you were the only person on this planet, he would have still had to come and die in your place. There's no back door. There's no second plan B. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You want eternal life? You got to come through me. No man gets unto the Father but by me. Will you call upon the Lord right now? Ask him to save you. He loves you. He wants you. Isn't that crazy? If nobody else does, he does. Father, I pray that you would help somebody to call upon the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. There, there are countless hundreds of millions of people repeating the names Buddha and Muhammad. There are countless gods that are being sought, and they're all dead. They're all idols of stone and wood. But there is one name above every name that is alive. He died and rose again. He is alive forevermore. And he waits for somebody with a broken heart to say, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of who I am, but I trust you. Please save me. There are plenty of Christians who are watching this who are tired as well. Maybe sin has taken its toll again. Maybe they've tried to serve God and they've just worn themselves out. Maybe the joy is gone. I don't know what it is. If they would just do these, these seven words, look at them, think about them, ponder on them, memorize them, meditate on them. Say, Lord, this today I'm going to learn to trust. Today I'm going to learn to fret not. I'm going to work hard on fretting. I'm going to work, work hard on ceasing my anger. I'm going to work hard today on, on serving others, just being a blessing, just taking whatever abuse they give. I'm just going to serve and serve with joy because I'm serving you, Father because I need to be renewed. I, 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 don't, I, I may need to just sleep. I may need to get a good night's sleep, but I need these seven things so that you renew my, my, my strength like the eagles. Because we're meant to be an army. We're meant to be ready. Lord, you're coming back. I pray you restore and renew our strength today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn number 242. Gave it to you last week. It's been my theme for the last couple of weeks. Jesus, I come. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, not Mary, not pastor, but Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. You say, where is he? He's not far. He's right beside you. He's knocking on the door of your heart, waiting for you to say, trust me, call upon me. It won't take four years at the speed of light for him to come. He'll come in right now. He'll wash away all your sin. He'll cleanse away all that guilt and that shame. He does it. I can't explain it. 
I just experienced it. I, I, I'm a Baptist, but I enjoyed getting saved so much, I wish I could do it again. <laughs> and then again and again, because it's the best thing that happened in my life. Into thy freedom, gladness, and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness and into thy health. Now, I'm not talking about physical sickness, but that spiritual sickness that everybody carries. Out of my want and into thy wealth. Out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Will you come to him? I'm glad you watched today. Hope you learned something. Hope you got challenged. Hope you wrote down some things because those seven things aren't meant to just go in one ear out the other. Ponder those things. For the next week, you got seven days to work on those seven things. I wonder if tomorrow, what if the devil throwed up a test to see if you would fret and panic? And you remember, fret not. I'm going to wait upon the Lord. I'm going to see this thing through. So I've got to stop my panicking. Remember those seven things. And next week, we'll meet again for another message from God's word. See you on Wednesday night for prayer meetings, Bible study as well. God bless you all. Thank you for watching.